Hey folks, welcome back to Tech Leaders Talk, where experts and leaders in the wide world of IT discuss the tech industry, current topics, and their hard-earned career wisdom with your host, Barry Newkirk. Although, Barry, this time, you're not the host. Turning the tables on me. That's right. That's right. So my name is Nathan. I'm the producer here at the Tech Leaders Talk podcast, and we have uh, Barry Newkirk on the mic. We're several episodes in, and it's time to hear who is the man, the myth, the legend, Barry Newkirk himself. So let's jump in. Uh, Barry, what do you do? What do you do now? How'd you get started in tech? What's what's that career story look like? My wife and I own a IT staffing and recruiting company called Intellectual Capital. Uh, we started in 2003. So we are in our 19th year of business uh, nice. as uh, husband and wife business owners. You'll pray for us and we'll pray for you and that'll be great. Um, and so we place very talented, amazing IT folks with organizations <clears throat> across the country. And uh, most of that is in the Southeast, um, but uh, we have clients in California, Arkansas, Texas, all over the country. So we just... Uh, place wonderful technology folks with uh, amazing organizations, both nonprofit and uh, for-profit. So it's been a it's been an amazing ride. I got started in tech, uh, oddly enough, here in Greenville, South Carolina in 1993. My wife worked for a uh, kind of a legendary company in Greenville called Corporate Telemanagement Group that um, has spun out probably 10 or 15 other telecom companies over the years. And um, her cube mate was a guy named Dan Sterling. Um, Dan and I uh, were uh, buddies because I would he would hang out with my wife at work and I would go see her and we were hanging out about the same age. And I was looking for a job. I was selling chemicals. I hated it. I was bad at it. Uh, my boss was not happy. <clears throat> and I just told him one day, I was like, yeah, man, I'm looking for a job. I don't know what to do. And he said, uh, are you in sales? And I go, yeah. And he said, let me make a call. So he literally took his desk phone. There used to be phones on desk, yeah, yeah. Nathan. I've seen and, photos. And uh, put on speakerphone, called his brother, John Sterling, one of my mentors, and said, hey, aren't you looking for somebody? And he goes, uh, yeah. And uh, they called each other brother, bad names and stuff like that <laughs> on the speakerphone. And my, my mind was blown. John was a VP of sales of a, um, another legendary uh, company in Greenville called DataStream, hmm. where a lot of the alumni of DataStream have gone on to create billions and billions and billions of dollars of value for shareholders across the country in different tech disciplines. And so John said, yeah, I'm looking for somebody. And Dan said, hey, I'm going to send my friend over to you. Uh, you should hire him. Hmm. Next week, I had an interview. Um, at DataStream, they made software for manufacturing plants and warehouses, and so they counted inventory and did uh, preventive maintenance work orders and things like that. I knew nothing about software, absolutely nothing. <clears throat> um, it was akin to a Mercy interview because Dan was the brother of John, and so I knew I had no shot at that job, honestly. Yeah. And so I walked in John's office on a – I think it was a Thursday afternoon, if memory serves me. John was in um, golf shirt, blue jeans with massive holes in them before that was a thing, uh -huh. um, argyle socks, and uh, his Citadel high-top basketball white and blue uh, Converse shoes. Classy. Classy. And uh, I said to John, 
look, I don't want to waste your time. I appreciate you seeing me. I don't know anything about computers or software. I appreciate you taking the time, but you know, I don't, I don't want to waste your time. And he just looked at me and said, I don't care. I'll train you. Hmm. And it was love at first sight. Wow. And, um, and I knew, I knew I was like that, that's going to be my path. So we went through the interview. Um, he offered me a job Uh making $24,000 a year Mm -hmm. in 1993. Nice. That's more money I had ever made. Yeah. I would have taken the job at that. And then you said you get paid on sales on top of that. No idea. Yeah. So I was there for three and a half years. I did very well uh, under John's tutelage and a bunch of other people's tutelage and um, ended up being sales manager for all at all of North America. Um, and we were a publicly traded company uh, during that time period, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's where I started my IT career. Nice. Uh, Barry, I'm going to pull a thread that showed up in your story. I didn't know. I actually, you know, I, I haven't heard that version of your story. In the interviews that we've had so far, it's kind of split almost 50-50 between people who say, hey, I was a total total nerd. I was bringing computers home over the summer, taking them apart, you know, doing all of that, and that's what led to my career. And then the other 50% is a story kind of like yours where it's, I wasn't, I kind of sidestepped into it. Um, I got sideswept into the into the tech career. And then once I was in, I was able to move up. Do you have any like observations based on the interviews we've had or, or your experience there? Well, I, that's a great question. I think based on my 30 plus years in IT, I think the people who do well in IT, whether it's in sales like I have mm-hmm. or practitioners, mm-hmm like some of the CIOs and CISOs that we've interviewed so far, Nathan, has been that they love it. Mm. Like I have told people countless times, I have somebody fix my email. I don't understand and I don't know how to do all those things, but I love the practice of connecting people in tech. And I love being in the tech industry Mm. uh, for a multitude of reasons. So the only thing I could, the only through line I could draw would be, once you get it, once you love it, you just have to stay with it because uh, as I was telling somebody at lunch today, it's never the same thing twice mm. in tech. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's the case in accounting or manufacturing sure. or you know logistics or what have you because uh, I don't have a lot of experience in those. But in tech, you know, a, a laptop could be a laptop, could be an iPad, could be an iPad. It's always different. Mm. And that's one of the things I like about it. Yeah. I love about it. All right, let's back up a little bit. Barry, how'd you grow up? What's what's the story? We got the professional journey. What about um, sort of cradle to uh, to graduation? So I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I was uh, the oldest son of a single mom who was a school teacher, um, got her master's at night and on the weekends and over the summers. Um, my dad left when I was about eight, hmm. and we've had an off and on again relationship. But um, my grandparents, uh, we lived in a house rent-free that my grandparents provided to us until I was 15. Mm. Um, So, you know, people uh, grow up, you know, Loretta Lynn just passed away uh, this past week. And I heard an interview with her and said, you know, we didn't have any money, but we didn't didn't know we were poor. Mm -hmm. I knew we were poor. Mm. I, I absolutely knew we were poor. And that uh, that drove me <clears throat> since I got out of the house. Um, so, um, uh, we were 
had it not been for my grandparents, we would have absolutely been homeless. Mm. There's no question about it. My mom had uh, bipolar disorder, mm. a lot of lot of health challenges. Uh, it was kind of an ugly thing. So um, graduated high school. Um, I graduated in the top 100% of the Batesburg-Leesville High School graduating class in nice. 1984. Uh, go Panthers. That's right. And uh, I went to Winthrop uh, College, now university in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I went there because... Uh, and some of our listeners have heard this because it's one of my favorite things to tell. I went there because they let me in, uh -huh. major driver. Sure. At the time, it was the cheapest school in the state. Uh, not so much anymore, major driver. Um, they had poli-sci, which I wanted to be an attorney, so I knew I had to have a political science degree. That's what I convinced myself in the 80s. Yeah. Um, it was two and a half or three hours away from my mom pre-cell phone, so she had to call before she made the trip up, major driver. Yeah. And the cherry on top of the Sunday was they had six girls for every guy. Wow. And, so the ratios uh, were right. It, it worked out pretty good. I felt like the Lord was calling me there. Yeah. And um, I met my wife there. I was president of my fraternity there. Um, academically, I didn't do uh, – I didn't follow the traditional route, Nathan. Mm -hmm. So I crammed two and a half years worth of credit and a four and a half years worth of attendance. Uh -huh. And I had a great time. Nice. I got an education not in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and from there, I went into the Army – because um, I had a Bill Murray stripes moment. If if I didn't dry out, I was going to die, and I absolutely felt that. And so I went in the military. Tell me more about the uh, that transition out of out of college into the military, and how did that affect kind of your professional life? I don't have a problem telling you. I was a very angry adolescent mm -hmm. and young college person, um, and I was seeking for some normalcy. Yeah. Um, now that I have some perspective on it. Um, going into the military, I had some friends in the military, kind of didn't influence me, but I saw what they had and I knew I needed what they had. And that was discipline and um, some camaraderie and uh, a team to belong to. And um, I just knew that I had done what I could do in college. And I, and I had an amazing time. I made lifelong friends. I met my wife there. It worked. It was a good experience. Um, but I knew I needed to take it to the next level. Mm. I can almost take you to the spot in Rock Hill where I just decided I'm going to go in the Army mm. full time. And um, it was just like a, an epiphany, a light bulb moment. Yeah. Just, hey, I can't keep doing this with my life. Um, and, you know, and, and the military gives you lots of discipline but they also give you i mean you think about if you think about military or connected with anybody in the military regardless of rank really young people like skip lohmeyer told us have massive responsibility yeah like i had guys now i was low level but i mean i was still in charge of a million dollars worth of equipment as a yeah. you know formerly drunk 22 year old sure and you know i knew guys who were 25 and they had 10 million dollars worth of equipment mm -hmm. and 300 lives that they were managing. That's yeah. a lot of responsibility. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't have discipline and you have a lot of responsibility, that can get weird real yeah. quick and bad real quick. So I needed those two things. I didn't realize I couldn't articulate that at that point in time, um, but I needed those things. And so I came out um, a much different person than I went into the Army with. Yeah. 
Yeah. That kind of parlays into another question we, we ask a lot, and that's about mentors and mentorship. Mm-hmm. And I think those those two will, will dovetail well, the sort of lessons learned in the military, but also mentors possibly, or I'm sure mentors coming out of the military, um, but also just mentors in general. What are a couple of highlights, sort of folks you want to shout out or experiences with mentors that you've had? Probably the first one on my list will always be for the rest of my life and has been for my entire life is my grandfather, uh, Claude Tate. He's obviously passed away, um, passed away about 23, four years ago in 1999. Um, you know, had it not been for him, um, I wouldn't know what a good father is. Hmm. I wouldn't know what a good provider is. I wouldn't know what a... Um, a quality business person is. In fact, um, I just told uh, one of our mutual friends a couple of weeks ago, I have a very clear picture of who I want to be at 85. Mm. Um, and I'm and my siblings and my wife and other people who knew my grandfather would say, yeah, he's, he's pretty much following that path. So it gave me an exemplar. He was my first real mentor. Um, I also had a great boss right when I got out of the military, a guy named uh, Glenn Kelly. Um, that I worked for at Pella Window and Door, who was just salt of the earth and knew I was a young guy searching and poured into me. Uh, John Sterling, as I mentioned, um, I wouldn't have a tech career without John Sterling. Mm. And uh, John and I are still in touch, and we talk uh, a handful of times a year. And um, So those are some of my early ones. And then, honestly, um, a fourth one, I would say, is uh, Keith Warner, who we've had on the podcast in mm-hmm. – Best boss I ever had, period, not close. Um, just an amazing guy. Uh, taught me a ton about the business, but also taught me how to do the business and how to treat people. Hmm. So those four people um, were, were be folks that I would shout out in a mentor capacity. Yeah. But there's a lot of others too. Yeah, for sure. I, I love the idea of having not just what do I want to be when I grow up, but who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. After I've grown up, right? Yeah. In those in those last couple of decades and years, so I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna think more about that. Maybe do some journaling myself on like what's the 85 year old version of of who I want to be. Yeah, it's a good distinction. He, uh, my grandfather was, um, you know, I've I've threatened to write a book about him, but um, he was the youngest of ten kids. Wow. Born in 1910, um, never knew his dad. Uh, his mom died at uh, childbirth, so he was an orphan, and. Um, Uh, lived with seven different foster families uh, in Gaffney, South Carolina, uh, between um, Greenville and Charlotte, and um, left when he graduated high school. And at that time, which was 1928, um, Columbia was kind of the only real city in South Carolina. And so he walked with 10 cents in his pocket, um, and he spent four nights on the side of the road walking to Columbia. Wow. And so from that incredibly humble beginning, he created a multi-million dollar estate. Um, he put all of his kids, all of his grandkids through college. Mm. He put another 20 kids that were not his own through college. Wow. If you wanted to f- follow an example, Claude was the example. Mm. No doubt about it. And, um, so I still, to this day, I'm 56 years old. I still have people that I know who knew my grandfather come up to me 24 years after his death and go, your grandfather made an impact on Mm. me. So, um, it's a pretty easy example to follow. Yeah. You know, you know, one of the themes for me in the guests that we've interviewed and even in this conversation, you know, the (laughs) 
title of this podcast is Tech Leaders Talk for a reason, right? Our, our target audience is these sort of young, up-and-coming uh, tech leaders, folks who are in tech but really want to move into tech leadership and sort mm-hmm. of have that long-term career journey. But the more we talk, the more clear it is that that, that journey is about uh, people, character, connections, and really just putting your hand to the plow at the experience in front of you. And um, anyway, there's not a question in there. I just, uh, that that moment with your grandfather made that highlight come up that taking this time on a tech podcast to talk about the the human side of it is so important because at the end of the day, that's, that's what moves you along. Yeah, it's, um, you know, you, you can't do things in life without people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, the ability of all of our guests to be able to talk about hey, they were interested in this, but they figured out a way to serve other people through their natural gifts mm. and tendencies is a is a big thing. Yeah. Well, let's jump back into the tech, having sure. said that. Absolutely. Uh, what are some of the core uh, principles or skills that will always be relevant to any career in tech, uh, no matter how the technology changes, right? Not only do we have Moore's Law, where, uh, you know, the technology is, in, you know, it's doubling in power, and it's uh, the price is decreasing by half. What you know, all these principles of of IT. What are those core principles that will always be relevant, though, no matter what the what the tides change? You would kid yourself to not say um, that continuous learning in technology is something that if you're not willing to do that, you might as well to go do something else because mm. you'll never know everything. Yeah. <clears throat> like I have uh, had the pleasure of having a number of PhDs who work with us on various projects and things like that who are, you know, a hundred points higher on the IQ scale than I am. Um, but you know, if they're reading two or three books at a time and listening to three or four podcasts at a time and trying to stay up on stuff, if you're not just into continuous learning, you're absolutely going to get left behind. Hmm. The other thing I think is, uh, communication. You know, I think Chris Estes actually talked about it pretty well in saying that, you know, being a consultant is being able to listen and be able to communicate and share ideas and um, enunciate concepts that <clears throat> a lot of people don't really understand. You know, like we talked about before, do you really know how your car works? Nobody really knows how that car right. works. Um, nobody that I know really knows how that car works. But we know when we put the thing in or we hit the button, the thing turns on and tells us when we need gas and tires and all that. Um so being able to communicate those concepts has been uh, very key and I think is really key not only to leaders, but also hands-on practitioners. Um, there's a lot more hands-on practitioners than there are leaders. Um, and sometimes that <clears throat> difference uh, for somebody going from a practitioner to a leader is the ability to communicate and enunciate some of those concepts. Um, the other thing I would say is vision is you have to be able to see farther than what happens today. Um, Tech is moving so fast. It is ubiquitous. It's everywhere today. Uh, When I started in tech, it was not everywhere. Hmm. When I went to college, you had to go to a computer lab, and you could only get an hour a week as a student. Uh, My computer science friends got two hours a week. Um, I didn't happen to go to that lab, but now everybody's got a computer. You know, um, the the stuff you have in your phone is more uh, than 
could run all the software that we had at DataStream in 1994 when I was there. Mm-hmm. Every piece of it. So um, the ability to communicate and uh, learn and and build relationships. I mean, every podcast guest that we've had has talked extensively and deeply about relationships and both their manager and up above them, but also with their team and the people that they work laterally with. So, you know, those are core tenants, regardless of if it's Java or web or cloud or cyber or what have you. Yeah. For the young professional, right? For the sort of mid-career IT or technology professional, would it be fair to say, like if you sort of aspire for that tech leadership to begin cultivating a, a vision or a view or an opinion on the technology industry before anybody asks you, not not to be uh, sort of God's gift to uh, <laughs> to to your boss in terms of in terms of that, but just to get used to the idea of having an opinion about the thought leadership, about the vision of um, whatever's going on, and even parlaying that into the idea of being an internal consultant, like you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. and one of our guests he talked about, he has been a, a consultant to companies in tech, but he's also been an internal consultant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even for a mid-career professional to start thinking along those lines, is there any advice to how to start thinking well about that kind of thing? People value somebody's ability to be able to say, I think this is where this is going in three or four years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people who say, I value, I think this is where tech is going in 10 or 20 years. That's outside of my neighborhood. Sure. Um, God bless those people. I'm sure they're amazing, but I don't get that. But yeah. three, four, five years, yeah. I feel like I could go toe to toe with pretty much anybody and talk yeah. about, okay, this is where, based on these factors and these inputs, this is where I see that going. I don't know that you have to really form that opinion, but I think keep looking at the tech horizon and you know, most tech folks are really good at triangulating data. They're good for getting data from this input and this place and this place and this place and saying, okay, I think this is going to work in this way. Um, and so that's part of that recipe is keep looking on the tech horizon, see what people are doing and, and what you interact with every day. And I think that'll put you in a good place. Well, it's a perfect uh, transition to the next question. And that is, uh, all right, Barry, let, let's, let's, Put your money where your mouth is. What's your best guess for the future of tech? What are some of the themes? You know, are things good, bad, or ugly, or somewhere in between? I think things are great. Mm. Uh, I'm a glass half full guy. Okay. Um, I was telling a group of folks that I get with on a pretty regular basis this week. I don't mm. think uh, all the robots and all the computers are going to take <laughs> tech people's jobs. Yeah. I do not believe that. Um, will they take some? Yes. Yeah, Have they course. taken some? Yeah. Yes. Will they take all or or a lot? I don't think so. I think the ability to be creative is incredibly important. Um, Where is it going? I think everything's going cloud. I think everything's going remote. Every three months, I think things get more cybersecurity centric. Okay. Um, You know, people want their data to be private. People want their stuff to be secure. I was just on a major university campus this morning with people, and we talked about cybersecurity. And if my daughter is at a university and I don't think you can secure her data, her physical data, her financial data, her um, medical data, her academic data, that I'm going to go send my daughter somewhere else to go to school. I think those are major things. I also think, you know, the disruption that we've seen through COVID of work 
is an incredible once in a lifetime seismic shift. Um, I think for the most part, people have done really well with that, hmm. but I don't think it's going to ebb back. There's a lot of talk in the media right now about all these companies want, we want all our employees to come back to work. That ain't happening. Yeah. That ain't happening. Right. You know, um, we have color TV now. We're not going back to black <laughs> and white, you know, um, and you know, a hybrid or a remote workforce yeah. is something that people are going to have to uh, start planning for and educating themselves on. It's not just, hey, we got through COVID. Mm. I believe we got through COVID. We can have that conversation later. But um, it's not going back to the way it was in 2019. Yeah. I can tell you that. So we talked earlier in the episode about relationships and mm -hmm. mentors and networking. Now we're talking about this this shift that's not going back to where this hybrid or even fully remote, how do those two threads tie together? The idea of the importance of networking and who you know and the ability to pick up a phone or you know rub shoulders with someone and then the reality of this um, remote or hybrid workforce. How should a, a mid-career tech person think well about those things as they forecast their next one, three, five years? I think for the one, uh, the people who are... Um, I will call it aggressive and um, trying to get somewhere. Um, they're going to have to do both remote work and in-person networking. Um, they're going to have to spend time that they probably haven't had to spend the last 24 or 30 months doing that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> a lot of my CIO clients are very frustrated that they cannot hire people to come into the office for any length of time. Um, a lot of our candidates across the country are like, hell no, I won't go. Yeah. Um, and I, both, both sides are correct. Mm. Um, so <clears throat> both sides are going to have to give on that, Nathan. Um, but I also think it's incumbent upon the person who is the young to mid career to do both really, really well. And that will take a lot of blood, sweat and tears, um, you know, I, somebody told me that people who want to work 100% remote are looking for a job. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I've had lots of jobs. I've had more jobs than most people. Yeah. The people who are willing to make the personal investment in relationships, spending time face-to-face, -face, even if it's, hey, coffee at a co-working place just to get to know somebody in the flesh, <clears throat> that person's looking for a career. Hmm. It's two different viewpoints. Both are fine. Um, both are great. Both are, you know, I mean, millions and millions, the vast majority of people I would submit to you in the w American workforce have jobs and they're very happy with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you want to be a leader, you have to see it as a career. Um, and so you have to do both, which makes it taxing and tiring and time consuming, but that's just the game. All right, Barry, let's, let's go back in time again. What's right. something that uh, early on early on in your career, you really undervalued as a professional that you recognize and highly value now? Oh, that's super easy. So I think for me now, as a 56-year-old, I much more value uh, people and treating people well in relationships over results. Um, the first 20 years, 15 years of my career, it was all about results. What's the number? I'm, I'm a sales guy. So like, did you make those calls? Did you make those sales? What's your month look like? What's your quarter look like? And I, and it was a little bit of a blitzkrieg slash and burn mentality. Um, and I'm, and, and I did pretty well 
my bosses were happy that I was doing well. But looking back now, I should have more valued both personal relationships with customers, with bosses, and with colleagues than, you know, I have, uh, my wife is an organizational development coach, and I have focus as number one on the uh, Gallup Strength Finders. Mm -hmm. So I, I will joke, I can walk over a dead body on the way to a goal. And I can absolutely do that. I just don't want to be that dead body and I don't want to kill that dead body. Yeah. Um, so I undervalued personal relationships early in my career. Tying that back to something else you said, um, you know, just a moment ago, if you are looking to advance as a career professional, as a career leader, you have to go hard, you have to go aggressive. Marry that with what you just said about mm -hmm. going aggressive, yeah, about the numbers and the KPIs and the metrics, but also what does it look like to um, to go aggressive in your networking, in your relationships? Right. Yeah. Kind of sounds funny, but you know, how can you be aggressively mentored? How mm -hmm. can you aggressively pursue the idea of being poured into? Right. And then on the flip side, how can you pour into others as well? So I love that. Yeah. You know, Patrick Lencioni wrote. Um, one of his books, he talks about, I forget the name of the book, but he talks about his core premise of employees need to be hungry, humble, and smart. Mm. Well, I never had a problem with the hungry part. Uh, it does. It looks like I had a problem with the hungry part, but I didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> um, and I, I think I'm, I'm decently smart. Yeah. I'm not wicked smart like some of my friends, but I'm decently smart. Yeah. Um, the humble part I had a problem with uh, when I was young. And, um, and, and people want to promote, they want to have on their team people who are hungry, humble, and smart. I didn't always have those three in sync. All right, let's flip it around. Uh, what are, or what is something that you overvalued as a young professional that doesn't matter nearly as much now? I way overvalued achievement and KPIs and numbers and quotas and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, there was plenty of times when I had two young kids at home, had been working 70 hours a week. My wife would call me at the office, pre-cell phone, um, at 7 o'clock on a Friday night and say, when wow. are you coming home? Yeah. And I was trying to get that last quote out, that last proposal, get a PO. And I thought that was normal. And I, uh, in a scary sense, I actually enjoyed that. And so I overvalued being number one on the board or number one on the team or in the top five or winning this award over <clears throat> um, having my priorities in order. Well, as we kind of wind down to the kind of the last, last part of our conversation, parlay all of that, parlay all that wisdom into what is your proudest personal or professional or hybrid moment between those two as you, as you do a career retrospective here? I am now a huge family guy, so that's easy to say. It's a little bit cliche. I'm afraid to say that, but I'm incredibly proud of my kids, yeah. um, uh, both who are grown and have their own careers and are married and are doing amazing things. Um, so I'm proud of that. Um, I think uh, I'm also proud that uh, my wife and I have been in business for 19 years yeah. and have never taken outside investment. We are debt free. We, we try to do those things in the way that are reflective of who we are. But probably the thing that jumps to mind is, you know, the first 12 years that we were in business, I consciously worked out of my home. My kids were homeschooled. And when my kids went to public school, I was the only dad at all the stuff. Mm. 
So I never missed a practice, never missed a game, never missed a dance recital, never missed a swim team, swim meet, never missed none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a conscious decision um, when I had my own company to be able to do that. And so that's probably um, the thing that, you know, looking back now, I'm probably most proud of. Yeah, I think this this running theme in this conversation of sort of the tension between two separate ideas, right? Mm. The tension between uh, being hungry for the results, but being hungry for a relationship, uh, balancing your sort of career ambition with your personal and your family ambition and how, you know, for you over time, those waxed and waned, but now, and your career obviously is by no means over, right? You've still got mm-hmm. decades ahead of you. Mm-hmm you're finding that balance and that tension to where they sort of uh, come into more equilibrium. And so hopefully that's something our listeners can can think, and it's something I'm thinking about in, in my own career as well, right? How do I balance those things well so that I can learn from learn from that example? So thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, the other thing I would say is that people have to be able to trust you. People, people do things, they give opportunities, they give chances to people who are underqualified that they trust. Mm. And um, <clears throat> that's something I didn't always understand mm-hmm. is why did John get this promotion and not me? Why did, um, you know, Larry get that account and not me? Well, the person making that decision trusted them more. Mm-hmm. That's why. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really connect with that, particularly in my 20s. Mm. But even then, I do think back to, to that mentor that took a chance on you that gave you the job, um, you know, where you said, I'm, I'm willing to learn. You know, there was no there was no good reason he gave it to you other than yeah some level of trust and and potential. So yeah, well, uh, his brother's uh, recommendation yeah. didn't hurt. Yeah, either, yeah, for know? sure. So and that goes back to who you know, right? That's, All these themes. Yep. Um, all right, Barry, what's your personal growth strategy? How are you pouring back into uh, into yourself? Um, I'm a carnivorous learner. Um, I. I probably read three books at a time on a pretty consistent basis on a multitude of topics. I love talking to smart people. Um, I told somebody at lunch today, uh, which I've said for years, is that I'm okay being the dumbest guy in the room. Sure. Doesn't bother me a bit. I'm totally comfortable with that. Uh, not not everybody I know is comfortable with that, but I'm, I love to learn. Um, obviously, I didn't love to learn academically in the traditional sense, and I, and I don't do well with that. But having conversations like this, I'm learning things from you. I'm learning things from people that I talk to on the phone or over Zoom or whatever every day. I read a lot. I listen to a lot. I <clears throat> I try to really pay attention. Um, you know, that's I, – I don't follow any one person because all people are fallible. Mm. Um, but I do follow um, people that seem to um, – be hungry, humble, and smart, yeah. and also um, are talking about things that are, are just of interest to me. I just, I do, I do genuinely love to learn. Yeah. Do you have any uh, top recommendations of? Um, it doesn't have to be a top recommendation, but a book that you're reading or a podcast you're really getting value from these days. Well, uh, I have some books that I recommend on a pretty regular yeah, basis. Sure. So there's a great uh, business book called The E Myth. Mm-hmm. which uh, has only sold about 25 million copies, so they really need all of our help to go buy another one. But um, I recommended that to a good friend of mine yesterday. I have probably given away five or 600 uh, books um, called The Go-Getter. Okay. Uh, people use that phrase, but they don't know where it comes from. So there's a book written in the early 1900s called The Go-Getter by Peter Kine, K-Y-N-E. Uh, it's about a $4 book on Amazon. It's a 
it's an amazing two hour read. It'll take mm. you two hours to read it. Um, that's a great book. Um, you know, I'm reading a book right now with our company um, that was suggested to me by my daughter called The Originals hmm. uh, by Adam Grant. Oh, okay. I'm familiar <clears throat> with it. It's on my list. I haven't read it. It is. Uh, it's an amazing uh, – I didn't know what to think about it hmm. when I first started it, but every chapter is just pearls of wisdom and really interesting things about historical facts that he's researched and showed you why certain things happened and certain things didn't. Um, and so original thinking is something that I think is sorely lacking, and it's a great read. Hmm. So those are three that I would uh, highly recommend. That's great. Well, Barry, uh, how can we learn more about you or anything you're doing? Obviously, listeners of the podcast will know that they can check us out on the web at techleaderstalkpodcast.com. They can check out our, our show notes and all of that. But um, where should they show up if they want to learn about intellectual capital or anything you're doing? Yeah, so our uh, website is icapsolutions.net. Um, so that's the same website we've had since day one of starting the company in June 2003. Um, and we're uh, going through a revamp on that. Actually, we had a meeting about that this week. Um, and also, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not on any other social media okay. channels, but I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Well, Barry, thanks for um, being in the hot seat. I really appreciate it. Um, appreciate the wisdom. Thanks for letting me play host here. Um, and for those of you listening, uh, we're going to wrap the episode with that. And otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on the Tech Leaders Talk podcast. Learn more about our show at techleaderstalkpodcast.com. And follow us on social media. We are Tech Leaders Talk podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we're on Twitter at Tech Leaders Pod. Subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. And please share this episode with at least one person in your life who would benefit. Until next time, tech leaders, keep talking. Uh, Barry, there were two dates that you said in this episode that I just wanted to call attention to. 1984 as your graduation year. Mm -hmm. um, that's a year before I was born. So I was, uh, I was negative one at that time. Awesome. 2003, you were starting your business with your wife, um, a prestigious year for you. Mm -hmm. um, I was busy being a junior in, in high school. So Sweet. I just wanted to highlight those, those, those years were important for you and for me. So. They were. They were uh, <laughs> uh, 1993, I started my tech career, and you were probably nine? Yep. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Thereabouts. Awesome. <laughs> yep.